Go ahead and take a seat, please. As I was reading through this passage in Romans, I began to recognize conversations that were happening. I began to picture it. So I just wrote a story about it. If you're visiting, this might be a little bit different than normal. And if you're regularly here, this might be a little different than normal. I want you to imagine yourself visiting a high-security penitentiary. And you're standing on the balcony of a large room filled with several hundred people. And the first thing that you noticed is that everyone is dressed alike. But even though everybody is dressed alike in what you presume to be the prison uniform, you recognize that there are obvious groupings of people within that crowd. There are some that you notice who are sitting there and their shoulders are slumped and their head are focused on their feet. But then there are others who are circling up and they're talking with each other. They're joking and they're standing there with their shoulders upright. And as you look at that group, you assume that they wouldn't be surprised if someone walked through the door and said, I'm sorry, we realized there was a clerical error. You ought not to be here. As if they realize they're out of place there in prison. And a man walks through the prison door, and it's a man you've seen before, and you know him to be the warden of the prison. And so as he enters the room, there is immediately a silence and a hush that falls across the room. The warden clears his voice and he begins speaking. You are about to be sentenced to your final judgment, and has been clearly made known that those who practice ungodliness and wickedness will face the wrath of God. So I must ask, are there any of you who believe that you have been wrongfully imprisoned? And one of the men who just a few moments ago was circled up in a group, he was laughing. He stands and he points his fingers to people across the room and he says, I definitely know who does deserve the wrath of God. It is these Gentiles who, though they know God's decree, they practice evil things. They deserve to die. And as that man speaks, there is this echo of muffled voices of approval. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's so true. But the warden raises his hand, and the group falls silent again. And he speaks this time a little bit more sternly. The question was, are there any of you who believe you have been wrongfully imprisoned? And without delay, a man stands, and he says in a loud and a forceful voice, I am a Jew, and we Jews have the law of God. And the law of God protects us from the coming judgment. The warden looks sympathetically at him, nods his head slowly, and he responds in saying, there is no value in simply having the law. The law is valuable only when it's obeyed. So let me ask you, sir, have you fully obeyed the law? But the man does not answer. He slowly backs away and he just simply sits down. And as soon as he sits down, another man steps forward, 
gazes directly at the warden and he says, I do not know if you are familiar or not with the covenant of circumcision, but we Jews have been circumcised. Surely that must count for something. And the warden responds by saying, yes, I understand that some of you have been circumcised. But did you remember that your circumcision is invalidated when you break the law? Have you, sir, violated any aspect of the law? And this man, too, retreats, sits down quietly. And just when another man starts to stand, the warden raises his hands and he says, I want to make it abundantly clear. God, who is the judge, shows no partiality. He has but one standard for all humanity, Jew and Gentile alike. All, both Jew and Gentiles, are under the power of sin. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There has not been an error here. All of you have been storing up for yourselves wrath for the day of judgment. And when the warden finishes speaking, it seems clear to, that everyone in the room has finally understood his sobering words. Gone are the confident glances. Gone are the boastful words. Gone are the smirks. Many hang their heads. Some even weep. In fact, one of the men who had stood earlier to profess his own righteousness is on his knees saying, It is true, I deserve the wrath of God. Another man looks to his neighbor and he says, By our hard and impenitent hearts, we were storing up wrath for ourselves on this day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so the room is motionless. Prisoners are burdened by this recognition, weighed down by pain and regret. Regret, remorse fills every empty spot in the room. The warden then speaks again. This time, because of the silence in the room, it's as if his words echo, and he begins by saying, but now. And the prisoners, whose eyes just a moment ago were dead, lifeless eyes, look up with just a glint and a glimmer of hope. Because they know as much as you know, which is when somebody says, but now, they are about to tell you about something that has changed. Something dramatic. Something will be different in the past that has come to life now. What is it that this warden might speak to them that would give them any reason for hope? And so the warden continues. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. And when the warden says these words, you remember back in those days when you sat in a Bible class. And you realize the righteousness of God speaks about God's own righteousness. And the righteousness of God is that righteousness that He gives to people. God is offering here righteousness to people. And yet you're confused. Because the warden has just made it very clear that these are people who are deserving of the wrath of God. And now he's saying there's an opportunity, a possibility that they might be able to receive the righteousness of God. How can the warden offer them any hope in regards to righteousness? Because it's been made clear that they are guilty as they have been charged to be. And yet the warden continues. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. 
When the warden says this, you're able to slowly realize what he's saying. And it looks like the prisoners themselves are beginning to understand what the warden is saying. They're whispering with animation. And you listen closely to one, and one says, Did he really say that we who deserve the wrath of God can be given the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ? And the neighbor says, That's right. That's what he's saying. But a third man joins the conversation. He says, isn't that just an offer for you Jews? Because you guys seem to have some pretty special connections in here. And the man said, didn't you hear what he said? It is available for all who believe. And someone says, didn't you realize what he said? There is no distinction. And when they begin to grasp what the warden is saying, they begin to smile. And that smile is like an infection that spreads across the room. But it's clear as you look through the room, there are still a few skeptical faces. A few individuals who are not yet convinced. It's as if there's something that they're working over in their minds, trying to figure out something about the warden's words. One of those somber-looking men tentatively speaks to the warden, and he says, Sir, didn't you say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? And the warden says, indeed, I did say that. Then how is it possible that you can offer us anything but the wrath of God? How can God be just if he just opens the door and lets us go? When you asked if there's anybody who didn't deserve to be here, we all came to the agreement that we deserve the wrath of God. So how is it that God can in any way be righteous and offer us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So all heads turn to the warden. He gathers his thoughts for his moment. And he says, By faith in Jesus, all can be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. One of the tall, lanky prisoners stands up and he says, That's the part I just don't get doesn't redemption mean that there is a cost, a payment to be associated with our release? And the warden says it does indeed mean that. So the man continues, And haven't we already established we have nothing of worth that can count towards our redemption? How then can we, who have nothing to offer, be redeemed for our sins? The warden simply smiles and says, Christ has paid the price of your redemption. He has offered it to give you that redemption. One of the confused prisoners says, with no payment on our part, with no fee for us, with no fines for us to pay, at no cost to me? Yes, the warden says. That was explicitly a part of the terms of redemption that Christ has offered. He would pay the cost and then he would give it to you freely. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's a free gift. You must understand that Jesus is the one whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith, and this to show his righteousness. What all of you need to understand is that the righteousness of God doesn't mean that God is just simply going to open the door and allow you to go free without payment. There must be a payment. There must be a penalty for sin. But Jesus has offered his blood, his life on the cross, 
as a payment for your sin. Another prisoner now enters the conversation. And he says, yeah, but in the past, God didn't always demand a life for a sin. There were occasions like that guy named Uzzah who touched the ark and he died. But by and large, God gave sacrifice. And a man, rather than a human life being given for sin, instead God accepted the lives of animals. So how is it that God can demand a life when so many times he didn't? So the warden nods and he clarifies. And he says, God did this to show his righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over sins previously committed. Not all sins that were committed in the past were fully paid for. God withheld it. And do you know what God withheld his wrath for? He withheld it so that it would be fully poured out on his own son for our sake. What should have fallen on us fell on God's one and only beloved son. What we deserved to pay he paid on our behalf. And with that, the room once again falls silent. And into the silence, the warden continued to prove that at the present time, that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And at that, one of the prisoners who clearly has been confused throughout this process says, so you're saying that if God doesn't punish sin, then he's not righteous. The warden says, that's correct. So God must find a righteous way to justify people by requiring a payment for their sin. And then God makes that payment in Christ Jesus. And the warden says that is correct. As we determined at the start of this conversation, you all, without exception, deserve to be handed over to the wrath of God. And I want to make it clear that there's only one thing that can change your situation. Actually, it's not one thing. It's one person named Jesus Christ. God is offering you a free gift. And all he is asking is that you receive the free gift on the basis of faith. Someone then in the crowd shouts, well, then what then becomes of boasting? And the warden says, it is excluded. He says, I saw how some of you were standing here proudly and confidently when I entered this room. That was never God's intention. For those of you who have grown up in the context of Judaism, recognize that God has always related to you on the basis of His goodness and His grace. When He brought you out of Egypt, He was gracious to you. When He gave you the law, He did so before you were obedient to the law. But somewhere along the way, you began to have the notion that you are right with God on the basis of your own righteousness. And that's not what God had ever intended. God has always given you relationship and covenant on the basis of his kindness. So one of the prisoners says, so is our redemption by law or is it by works? And the warden says, it is by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from the works prescribed by the law. So he says, I want you to be sure, prisoners, that you understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when you walk out of this prison, as a free man or as a free woman, and someone says, how did you get out? There's only one way you can start the sentence of your response. And you must start with the word, he. How did you go? He redeemed me. He justified me. He gave me a free gift. He gave himself as a sacrifice of atonement. 
If you walk out of this building and someone says, how do you get out? And you start your answer with the word, I, it means you have not understood what I'm telling you about the offer that God has given in Jesus Christ. There is no I. This is a story about what he has done. A story about a free gift that is being offered to you. One of the prisoners quietly then suggests, if this is the case, then God isn't just the God of the Jews, is he? He's also the God of the Gentiles, because if he's redeemed them both in the same way, he's redeemed us on the basis of faith. And the warden chuckles and he says, I think you're catching on. Yes, God is the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles. God is one, and he justifies all of you through faith alone. And that means when you leave here and you see another one of the prisoners on the streets, there is no room for pride. For pride. There is no room and place to say that you're somehow better than that person because the only reason that you have been released from this predicament is by the grace of Christ alone. At that moment, somebody who has been pondering quietly this entire time, one of the prisoners says, aren't you concerned that if you let us go on the basis of faith, then some of us might go back into a world and live lawless Wouldn't the world be worse? Wouldn't there be more violence? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? The warden shaking his head says, absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Those living based on the law could not fulfill the law. Only those who are living by the Spirit. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We who walk by the Spirit uphold the law. The warren then says, so each of you have a decision to make. You must decide on what foundation you will stand when you stand before the judgment of God. You can choose to go into that room and stand before God based on your own righteousness, but be forewarned about how that will turn out. You can go and stand on the basis of the law, of your circumcision, of your relationship in the law, but be forewarned about how that will turn out. Or you can go and stand on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. Each one of you has a decision to make. And I'm going to invite you to come and tell me your response. And yet, before anyone is able to go and see the warden, one of the guards comes and says, it's time for you to leave the prison. As the guard is walking you towards the exit, he can tell you're in an especially quiet, thoughtful mode. So he asks you, what are you thinking about? And you say, well, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I think there's something otherworldly about what I just witnessed. The guard smiles and he says, that's probably because we can only imagine a love. We cannot imagine a love that's not evoked by the worthiness of the object. You see, when we go around this world, we tend to love people because of who they are, because of what they've done, because of how they've performed. It feels otherworldly because the love of God is actually indeed otherworldly. What you need to remember about God is that God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. 
When the guard says that, you are convinced that the way that God loves is unlike any other love you've encountered. The guard opens the door, ready to release you from the prison, and he asks you, So, if God offered to save you from the coming wrath on the basis of the free gift in Jesus, how would you respond on the basis of faith? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how any of these characters in that story would respond to that. The only thing that matters is how we each respond to that offer. Because God indeed has recognized that we cannot bring anything of our own righteousness to stand before him. But God has given us a gift in Jesus Christ. That those who on the basis of faith submit in the waters of baptism, are buried with Christ, are raised anew with Christ, they can stand on the basis of that faith to receive the redemption and the justification offered in Christ. And so just like each of these people had a decision to make, you too have a decision to make. Will you respond to God on the basis of faith? to receive the free gift that he offers. In just a minute, we're going to be singing a song, and if you would like to respond to that invitation, just come and find myself or one of the elders and say, I do want to respond to God on the basis of faith. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's go and stand and sing together. And if you have any kind of a need, I invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing this song.